Well, uh, today really excited to uh, lead us in a study through the, the first two chapters of Psalms, okay? So if you have a Bible, would love for you can turn it on, open it up to uh, the book of Psalms. We'll be in the first two chapters. And if, you, uh, if you're curious as to where that is in the Bible, basically, if you just open it up in the middle, you'll hit the Psalms. There are 150 chapters uh, in the book of Psalms, and so more than likely, uh, you will find your way there rather uh, quickly. And uh, the Psalms are just really helpful to study because they teach us so much about who God is. And so as Pastor Reddy said, he makes it a, a regular part of, if you could call it, like spiritual diet, you know, to, to read a psalm a day. Many people do that. I go through seasons where I'm, you know, just in the psalms daily. And I love it because the psalms teach us what it looks like to worship God, to respond to who God is and all that he is worth. The, the psalms give us just very real and raw emotions of human experience. So like the, the, just the, the gamut of life experiences are in the Psalms. There are questions like, God, what are you doing here? What's happening? How am I supposed to understand this? And so whether things are going really well in life or they are very low, there are pieces in the Psalms that will just resonate with us no matter where we are emotionally or spiritually before God. And so I love to dive into the Psalms for all of those reasons, but most of all, I love to dive into the Psalms because the Psalms point us to Jesus. And we're going to see that. It was starting a seven-week series we're calling True and Greater. And we're going to see how each one of these psalms, we could pick any of the 150 psalms, and they would all be pointing us to Jesus Christ, God's Savior and King. And so as we dive into these psalms, we, we need to understand that the psalms were essentially the songbook of Israel. Israel, okay? This, this was the, their, their, their book that they went to. They believed it was from God. They believed that they could bank their lives on what it said and the instructions that it gave. And so they would not just, you know, try to, to kind of be familiar with these, these words, okay? But they would seek to really put them into their hearts so it would come out in their lives, and just like a good song today, the, the construction and the rhythmic structure of these songs help them to do that very thing, to help them to internalize it and to live it out. So what I want to do is I want to read these first two psalms, okay, straight through, and then we're going to break them down one at a time, all right? So if you would follow along on your phone, your Bible, uh, it's open here as I read these two psalms for us. This is what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage? 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. These two Psalms, you may be thinking like, man, this is kind of ambitious. Um, I know when, uh, you know, Pastor, Pastor Tanner, Pastor John, or Pastor John get up here, you know, it's like, you know, one chapter at the most. How are we, why are we going to take two chapters? Like, this is going to be an hour and a half long sermon here. Like, you know, feeling a little trepidatious. Okay, the reason we're taking Psalm 1 and 2 together is because most scholars today believe that Psalm 1 and 2 serve as the introduction to the rest of the book. Okay, so it's like the preface, the prologue, the introduction. And the reason they do is because it seems they were strategically placed, and we have a couple of little tips on that. Okay, number one, if you look closely in your Bible here, you won't see a title or what is known as a superscript to Psalm 1 or Psalm 2, but you will see Psalm 3 and most all of them following. Okay, so that's one little tip. Number two, as we just read, there is the theme of blessedness that bookends the Psalms. Okay, Psalm 1 and 2, blessed is the man who does all of these things. And then at the end, it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So those two kind of textual clues, along with all of the themes that we see played out in the next 148 Psalms, seem to indicate that these two were strategically placed to, check this out, teach us what it looks like to live a life of wisdom and to live with hope that everything that God says is true and he's going to come through on what he says and we can hope in him because he reigns over everything. He's the king. And so, because these two psalms seem to fit together as the introduction to the psalms, we're going to take them together and look at how they point us to Jesus in two very clear and distinct ways, okay? So, two encouragements as we work our way through these psalms this morning. The first one is this, okay? Live like the true and greater man. Live like the true and greater man. The psalm starts off and it says, blessed is the man, okay? Um, you may have a footnote there that, that clarifies and says, like, this, this Hebrew word is talking about a person, an individual, okay? So don't think, like, this is only for, you know, the males in the room, okay? This is for male, female. This is for people, persons, individuals. Like, if you want to experience the blessed life, and the word blessed is a word that we throw around, especially in church, but it even makes its way into popular culture. Like, what are we talking about when we say someone is blessed or I've received blessings, okay? To be in a state of blessedness or to be blessed is to say, I have an inner joy and gratitude, a peace in life that is given by God that is actually, okay, 
independent of circumstances. Okay, so what that means is because this person knows God and loves God and lives for God and experiences the presence and power of God in their life, okay, you can be going through the greatest difficulty and trial in your life. And I know some of you are going through some really difficult things these days, okay, and you can still be blessed. That's good news. You can be broke and be blessed, and you won't hear that on all the, you know, TV preachers and every church you might visit around here. And that's a shame, but it's true, right? Like, it's, it's not all about the material and the physical, okay? These are higher realities. The God is saying, look, if you want the blessed life, then this is what it looks like. And, and so the question is, like, how do we get this, this station, this position? How can we be blessed on a daily basis? And verses 1 and 2 give us two ways, okay? Uh, we avoid things that don't look like God, okay, and are not according to God's design, and we pursue things that are according to, to God's design and look like him. Okay, so this is what it talks about in, in, in verse 1, okay? The first how is to avoid godlessness, all right? Godlessness. It says, this blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Okay, so, so here, this blessed person is someone who is avoiding those things, those situations, even those people that are going to perpetually try to influence them into a path that is not according to God's design. It even seems that there may be a progression of kind of, you know, um, uh, an intensification of someone kind of pursuing this path in life. It goes from walking in the counsel of the wicked, like rejecting that, that advice that is contrary to God's counsel, okay? But then it says they don't stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So, you know, some, some people say like, ah, oh, there's nothing to that. Okay, it's all just metaphorical for a way of life that's contrary to God. Others say, hey, it could be a progression from walking to standing and hanging out to a more intimate, hey, I'm just seated down, I'm seated down. And even with these, these people known as scoffers who are just mocking God and probably the furthest away from God in their life, they don't even want to hear about God. They don't even want to listen or entertain the thought that God exists, that God loves them, and that God has a better way for their lives. Does that all make sense? And so we avoid godlessness. But what I, what I love, let me say two things, okay? Number one, you may be thinking like, well, Tanner, um, does that mean that, that, you know, I can't hang around with people who don't know God or love God or live for God, all right? Like, absolutely not, all right? I mean, we absolutely can hang out, and we should because the Gospels tell us what? That Jesus was a friend of sinners, Right? I mean, he, he, he hung out. He had shared meals. He was friends of people that didn't love God in the hopes that they wouldn't influence him, but what? He would influence them, right? So, so we have to be wise about the company that we keep, right? There are principles to apply here. And at the same time, the text is not saying, hey, isolate yourself. Only hang out with people that look and think like you, okay? But it's saying be very careful not to be influenced by those who don't follow God, okay? You got that? Then number two, I would say that don't, don't have the idea about 
Christianity and about God's design for us, that it's all about just avoiding godlessness, okay, or saying no to certain things, or to put it more maybe starkly, a list of rules that say, don't do this, don't do that, you can't go there, you can't say that, don't, you know, like, no. It's not simply about avoiding godlessness, it's about pursuing godliness, And this pursuit of godliness is as deep as the character of God, all right, which is infinite because we are called to be like him. So verse 2 goes on and it says what? His delight, this contrast, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Avoid godlessness, pursue godliness. And how do we pursue godliness? We do it by delighting in God's truth, God's instruction. The word law there just means instruction. We we actually, it says, meditate on it day and night. Nine. And so just to guide us through this verse, which is a super significant verse. I'm so glad you're here today because I think every person uh, needs to understand what this verse is all about, okay? Two questions. Number one, what is meditation, okay? And then two, what should be the extent of our med- meditation? So what is meditation? Meditation, according to the Bible, is filling our minds with God's truth, okay? It's, it's rehearsing, it's reciting. It's actually, the, the Hebrew word means to mutter, like to speak it over and over again. So like, blessed is the man who not, walks down the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sin, nor sits in the seat of scholarship, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not weather. Whatever he does, he prospers. So we're just repeating it. We're being exposed to it again and again and again to the point where it is internalized in our lives. So sometimes you you hear uh, meditation and you may think like Eastern meditation, Eastern religions, which that type of meditation is the opposite of biblical meditation. It's like we empty our minds. We, We kind of seek this state of nothingness and that's not what we're after, okay? Uh, We aren't after this kind of, you know, blank, you know, state of nothingness. We are about knowing who God is and knowing how he wants us to live our lives. And so we fill our mind with his truth. Someone once said that it's like the opposite of worry. If you think about what you worry about, and we all have things that we are anxious about and we worry about, right? And so when you're worried about something, what happens? You're just thinking about it like all the time. You can't shake those thoughts. And this is the the picture of the the meditating uh, blessed person, right? They are constantly thinking about God's word. They're constantly going back to to what they heard, what they've read, what they know to be true about God. And so we meditate on the Bible because as the Bible says of itself, it's a lamp, it's a light, it's fire, it's it's, um, a sword, it's our bread, In other words, it counsels us, it changes us on a daily basis, and it provides nourishment and sustains us. It actually gives us our very lives spiritually, okay? So Jesus would quote the Old Testament in Matthew chapter 4, and he would say, look, if if you want to live spiritually, then you take take this word and and you live on it day after day after day, which then leads us to the second question. Not only what is meditation, but what should be the extent of 
our meditation. And the, the idea here, you see this, this phrase, day and night? This is, remember, this is poetry, right? These are songs. And so this is not like, okay, maybe like one point in my day, and then like I'm going to revisit at night, and I've got these two moments here where I've done my job. Okay, that's not the idea. This is a literary device known as a merism, and a merism expresses totality by contrast. Okay, so it's day, night, everything in between, right? So this is like an ongoing throughout our day, continually going back. Like I know you have jobs to do, right? I know you have other conversations, right? So there's not like 100% of your time. But the idea, you, you follow, is like don't, don't get fired at work because you went in and said my pastor said I don't have to work because I'm just supposed to like say the, the scriptures all day, okay? Like that's not the point, right? But the point is consistency over time. And I don't know about you, but uh, I resonate with, with this uh, quote from a man named Thomas Watson who's, who asked this question, where is the meditating Christian? Like, where is the person who really does this? Where is the person who really, like day after day, really seeks to know the word in such a way that it is, that it is part of who they are? Because they're just going back again and again. And look at what he goes on. He says, he says most people live in a hurry. They are so distracted with the cares of the world that they can find no time to meditate. Do you know when this was said? You would think 2017, right? Like our smartphones and all the distract. This was written in 1669. The struggle is real, right? It was real in the 17th century. It's all the more real in the 21st century. And so how do, we, how do we move forward? How do we um, try to, to really make this part of who we are on a daily basis? Okay, I, I would just suggest a couple of things. All right, number one, we need to start with a delight in who God is because when we delight in something, we're going to want more of it. Okay, so, so, so the discipline, like I think, I don't know about you, but to say like day and night, to meditate on that consistently throughout your day, that sounds like, man, that's some work, that's some discipline, that's some effort, and absolutely, there, there's no doubt it is. But you know what? Like you don't have to ask me to want to spend time with my wife and my kids. I want to be around them. Hour after, I mean, most hours, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, like, hour, I mean, this is a kid's part, not Marsha. I mean, 100% of the time, sweetie, you know? But, like, what we love, we want to pursue, right? And here, here, here this is good, all right? This isn't good because I'm saying it's good because it's true, all right? Here's, here's the problem. Here's why we don't meditate. We come to this book that is supposed to be life to us, it's supposed to be life-giving, it's supposed to bring us peace and all the things that we long for, it's supposed to give us that, but the reason we don't want to meditate is because we come in such a mechanical way that we're coming to words on a page and we're forgetting that these words reveal who God is. This is Every word reveals who he is. So the design of these words is to pull me into God's heart so that I would love him more. Every word is about a relationship. It's not about a chore. It's not about a religion. It's not about, man, the pastor said, think about it day and night, so now I gotta do that. Delight, 
moves us to discipline. And then as we are disciplined, guess what? That's going to increase our delight. So we talked about this last week, but I want to revisit it. We said that when you invest in something, you're going to grow to love it. So we talked about the, the story of Jonah the last four weeks at Redemption Hill. And like there was this guy who didn't want to go and share God's love to this group of people, okay, because he didn't think they deserved God's mercy. And God is saying, look, like you don't, you don't share my heart. I love these people. I created these people. I am fully invested in these people. And so we saw that, that principle of investment. How many of you that, that served at Berry Park, this is a very just simple example, how many of you this week that served at Berry Park, like you, you appreciate that space a little bit more, right? I mean, I got a text from, from, from one of our, 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 our guys uh, here at church who was there like three nights this week, and you know what? I was like, hey, who wants to play Ultimate Frisbee tonight? Guess where? Berry Park. Because this dude likes Berry Park now. Why? Because he spent three days there this week. I rest my case, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want to love the word? I'm in Psalm 5 now. I'm getting excited, man. My pages. All right. If you want to grow in delighting in God's word, jump in. Dive in. Swim around. You know what I'm saying? Marinate. Like, the, the idea of meditation, I could go on and on about this stuff, right? Like, anybody love to grill? It's summertime. You know what I'm saying? It's summertime. Love to, you know, it's good to, to, to grill a piece of chicken. Anybody feel me on that? Come on now. You guys love it. It's good to enjoy a piece of chicken. Maybe a veggie burger for some of you, you know. Anyway, um, but you know what makes that chicken better? Yeah, when it marinates, you know what I'm saying? Like a day or two, it's just up in that bag, and the, 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 the flavors and the marinade is just getting all up in there. Man, it's going to change, right? And this is the, all right, you can laugh at me, but this is the picture of meditation, right? Like it's just, we're soaking in the word. We're, it's becoming part of who we are. It's like an actor who reads a script for the first time, and it's choppy, it's mechanical, it doesn't flow, right? But when it's time for the curtains to be pulled back, they're one with that script. They're one. Like you, you can't, you see no distinction between that actor and the character because they become one with it. This is the idea of biblical meditation. And so, so here is, here's, here's the deal, and I love this, okay? Um, what we want to see happen in our lives is that there is a progression of reading the word where we first read the word, okay? We know what it says, and then we allow the word to read us, okay? That's what it's talking about being a mirror, okay? In James chapter 1, it says the word is like a mirror and we see who we are in light of who God is. And then we, you know, every now and again, not every day, we see there's some changes that we need to make, right? Like when you first wake up and you got that bed head and it's all messed up and you, you got some, never mind. Um, but, but you need to make some changes, right? When you look in the mirror, the word is like that. So we read the word, the word reads us, and then people begin to read the word off of our lives both in how we live and what we say, which is the whole idea of meditation. It's not just simply to know it. It's to love God and to live his word before others. And so here's just a litmus test, okay? If you want to know if you're meditating on God's word, I would just ask you to consider, is the word coming out of you? Because if the word is not coming out of you, it is probably not in you deep enough. 
we're invited to know God by meditating on his word, by delighting in it. And when the word is in us, then it will begin to transform us. It'll begin to change us. And this is what we see in verse 3. All right, check out verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, now let's, let's zoom out here just for a moment, okay? What we have here is a picture of absolute flourishing. We have a picture of life to the fullest, okay? Freedom, fullness, it's all right here. How man, man was created to be by God to reflect who he is. This is the picture of verse 3, this, this uh, planted tree that is full of life, yielding fruit. Um, so if you want to be influential, okay, if you want to have this fruitfulness that's relentless, if you want to experience wholeness and prosperity, if, if you want to be so alive that you are naturally imparting life to other people, okay, if you want to spend time with other people and they are like, man, I feel like I spent some time with in the presence of God, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, God is so all up in that person that, that they're just naturally kind of rubbing off on me and I want to be like them because they are like God, then maybe you have something of verse three. <laughs> maybe, maybe the word is changing you to the point where you're, you're, you're bearing that fruit. And now again, all of us, myself included, certainly would say, you know what, Tanner, I, I'm, not, I'm not there in the way that I wanna be there. And this is where we, we zoom out and we say, you know what? If this is, in the words of Irenaeus, who said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Think about that. Like, like the glory of God, the reflection of God, the, the, a picture of the brightness and the greatness of God, if, if, if that is contained within a person who is fully alive, not experiencing the effects and taintedness of sin, but really living their life to God, which is how it was in the beginning and how it will be in the end, then none of us have done that perfectly, but there was one man who did that perfectly. And his name was Jesus Christ. He was the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And so he is the one that we are seeking to, to, to emulate. He is the one that as we side with him and as we follow him, then he empowers us. He changes us to be more like him where we are becoming more and more like the true and greater man who is the true blessed man of Psalm 1, Jesus Christ. And so he is our standard. He is our picture. He is the one that we are chasing after. He is the one we are pursuing. If we want to pursue godliness, we are pursuing Christ because Christ is the perfect picture of godliness. And so this psalm, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, they're all pointing us to Jesus. And Jesus said this is how we should understand the Bible, okay? In Luke chapter 24, listen to these words. He says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that in everything written about me, and check this out, the law of Moses, because the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, okay? Those are the, the major and minor prophets, okay? As well as most people throw in the historical books, okay? And the Old Testament. And then you have the Psalms, okay, right here. 
must be fulfilled. So he says, all of this is written about me. Every, like the scripture is pointing to Jesus at every turn. And so we side with Christ. We pursue Christ in order to stand. Check that out at the end of Psalm 1. To stand before God one day. To be ready for that day. And I think it's just good to pause. Like, are you ready to meet your maker? Like, are you confident when when Every one of us, unless Jesus returns very soon, like every one of us is going to die one day and we're going to stand before God and, and, and we're either going to be those that have sided with him who, in the words of Psalm 2, have taken refuge in him and we experience life. We are welcomed into life or we are going to say, you know what, God, no, thank you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to pursue godliness. I'm not going to avoid godlessness. I'm just going to do my own thing. And for those who do not side with God in this life, they will not spend eternity with God in the next life. And so let me invite you today, if you've never sided with God, if you've never stepped into the life that God invites us to through Jesus, you can decide to do that today and live like the true and greater man. But then number two, and I'll speed up here, to love and serve the true and greater king. Okay, Psalm chapter two is, is, is known as a royal psalm. These psalms, there are a number of these psalms throughout the 150 uh, psalms of the book of Psalms. And, and they were uh, often read at the coronation of the king. And so David wrote this psalm perhaps for his son Solomon when his son Solomon became king in Israel. And then it was, you know, shared and practiced later on through. But, but just as we see that man fails in our job of reflecting God's glory and we need to be like the true and greater man. So every king, and you can just read the Old Testament, every king, every leader, need we bring up our politicians and leaders today, right? Or maybe our bosses or managers, right? Like none of us are perfect Every king has failed in some way, but not God's true and greater king. And so in light of what this is saying about the, the, the kings of Israel pointing us to this true and greater king who would come, because what is said here is like way beyond the scope of a mere mortal, all right? The kingdom that is expressed here in Psalm 2, way beyond what we would expect of any earthly king. Um, we can then apply this and say, okay, what does it look like to love and serve the true and greater king? I have three encouragements, okay? Number one, let's submit to the king. The first stanza, all right, remember these are songs, okay? The first, the first verse, the first stanza would say, um, look, there, there are people that are conspiring against God. There are nations that are saying, you know what? We don't want God to be king over us. And so we are going to find a way to break free so that we can be king over the king of kings. You got that? And you say, well, like Tanner, okay, that's fine. Like I don't, I don't live in a nation that's like, you know, we don't even have a king, all right? So, um, you know, I don't, is this even applicable to me? Well, it's absolutely applicable. Why? Because we're all in verses one through three. There is always a point in every person's life before they experience the grace of God where they're saying, no thank you to God. 
They're saying, God, I don't want you to be king over me. You see, this is such a helpful distinction. I was, I was listening to a, a sermon on this text this, this week from a pastor that I really appreciate in, in New York City. His name's Tim Keller, and he made this brilliant point. And he said, look, if you poll people in America, they're, most people today are still going to say, hey, I believe in God, right? Just it's statistically beyond a shadow, like the vast majority of people, probably 90% or higher, are still going to say, I believe there is a God. Most in America are going to say, I believe in the God of the Bible. But not everyone wants to follow the God of the Bible, love the God of the Bible, submit to the God of the Bible. Why? Because we want to be in charge of our own lives. We don't want anyone, including God, telling us what we should do or how we should live our lives. So this is what I'm saying, like, break these bonds, cast off these cords, right? Like, there's a picture of a yoke where uh, you would put a yoke on animals, maybe oxen, and they would be led and guided through their journey because of this yoke. And they're saying, like, get this yoke off of me. I don't want his guidance. I want to live my own way. And this is how we've all lived. And so how does God respond? Well, God is God. God is still king. God laughs at those who have these thoughts and these plans. Because God is unassailable. God is, 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 is impenetrable. Okay? God cannot be conquered by any nation or any group of people. He is forever the king because he is God alone. And so he says, look, here's my response. I'm setting my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then verses 7 through 10 describe the extent of this king's reign. Now, this is where we get in and we really start to see Jesus show up in Psalm 2 because it says that this king is the one who is God's son. Verse 7, check this out. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Where do we hear these words? We heard these words at the baptism of Jesus, right? When he was baptized and God is speaking from heaven and saying like, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so because of the relationship, this king who is God's son, okay, he now can go to God the Father and and ask anything. And so God is saying, look, here's the deal. The entire world, the entire, uh, you know, earth is, is your possession. Verse 8 and 9 and 10. And what we need to see here is that the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God's Son, is established to the ends of the earth, not to dominate in a tyrannical way, okay, but to restore God's good intention in the very beginning where there was perfect harmony between God and man, God and creation, man and man, man and creation, okay? So look, the way that we want things to be in life, what we long for, what we hope for, no more sickness, no more cancer, okay, no more, you know, relational friction, all right, no more death. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's how it will be in the end. And the reason that's the way it will be in the end is because God's perfect king is going to set it up and restore it to the way it ought to be. That's like the whole Bible in 30 seconds. And so listen, look, no, no, no earthly politician, 
I mean, I know we could have fun with this, right? But President Trump, before you get to it, it's like President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton, future president, like George Washington, you know, like, it doesn't matter, okay? We can't put our ultimate hope in politicians. Now, we should be good citizens, okay? We should elect leaders that we think are going to promote the clearest echoes of God's shalom, right? God's, God's design for our world. But look, we can never believe that they're going to be the ultimate answer to our brokenness because there's only one solution. There's only one king. So I love this. I thought about this week, okay? Like democracy is a government by the people for the people, right? An autocracy or a theocracy in this sense is a government by the king and for the king. And I hope that makes your heart leap because that's why we were made. We were made for him. We were made to know him and to light him up, right? To, to, to point to his greatness. But even as it's by the king, for the king, this king is so good that it's not just by the king and for the king, but it's by the king and for the king and for the king's people. Because God is, we are made as image bearers, okay? We are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect him, which means we are his, as some people have said, his vice rulers, okay? He, he made us to have dominion over the earth, to cultivate this, this world that he has made, all right? This is what we can get into work and to culture making and all of that. Like, it's all rooted in the beginning chapters of the Bible. And so what we need to take away from this is, is, is simply this, okay? Um, it's not just submission to the king, but it is serving this king and loving this king. And so we want to be the kind of people. Let me just give a few comments here, okay? We want to be the kind of people that put no conditions on how we would serve God. All right, so like if we're putting conditions on it, if we're saying like, God, uh, I'll follow you if it's convenient for me, like I'll serve you if it's comfortable, I'll follow your agenda if, as long as it doesn't get in the way of my agenda, okay, then, then what has happened there is that we have made God our consultant, not our king. And God doesn't settle with, like, he's not just giving advice here. Okay? He's not just, like, putting out some options for us and saying, like, you go do whatever you want to do. No, God is, is an amazing king who is benevolent. He always knows what is best. He wants what's best for us, okay? And so when he says something, we follow through. We put no conditions on what he's asking of us. We want to be the kind of people like this true and greater king who came not to be served, but to serve. That's why we serve one another. I can tell you stories of how people in Redemption Hill, man, they're, they're sending meals to one another. They're meeting practical needs. They're giving up financial resources. They're bending a listening ear. They're taking care of one another's crazy kids. You know, I'm like, we're serving one another because we want to serve one another as we serve our king. But then only that, we're serving Medford. Like, I got to tell you, I told Marsha this on Thursday night, like, and don't, don't think I'm getting all too sentimental, okay? But this is just this is the reality this week, all right? Like, I was so proud as one of your pastors this week. 
I'm telling you, we had great representation, great involvement at Berry Park. In the morning, at night, community groups showing up. I mean, almost every community group person from each community group that participated was there spreading mulch and throwing activities for kids and setting up and tearing down and putting away trash and painting, you know, uh, getting that nasty tar off of the playground equipment, painting it red, right? So I felt so proud of our church. And what I loved is that not just like it was cool to get a shout out from Mayor Burke and all that, right? Like, so people see that we really love our city, okay? But, but what I loved is that there were people from the neighborhood that were walking by like, man, there's something going on here. I want to pick up a rake and help out. And then I met this guy who I'd never seen before. And I thought, he's just from the neighborhood. And so I, I said, yo, what's up, man? What's your name? He tells me his name. He came with, guess what? One of you who just started coming to Redemption in the past year who came because of, guess what? One of you. And so that's what we're talking about, irresistible invitation. Like if Jesus is a true and greater man, if Jesus is a true and greater king, then we want to invite as many people into this story as we possibly can because he transforms our lives. So we submit to the king, we serve the king, but not only this, listen, we love the king. Verse 12 like absolutely causes me to, to, to stagger. You know what I'm saying? Like it just catches me off guard. Because this king is the son, and at the very end of the psalm, what does it say? Kiss the son. So what do we, what do we learn here? God is king, but he is a king who is a good king. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to, to operate in such a way that when we submit to him, we submit to him because we love him. We serve him because we love him. We spend time and we meditate on his word because we love him. Check this out. We love him and we love others because he has first loved us. So again, when we come to this king, it is a king who is our father. And we give him the greatest of our affections, the greatest of our love because he is so radical in his love toward us. And so in the words of John Newton, listen to this. This expresses the, the relationship that we should have with our king, okay? The kind of love relationship that we can go to this king as a father. Listen to what John Newton said. He says this. Thou art coming, this is a song, by the way, okay? And you can remember this because this is how songs work, right? Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask. This is the kind of God we have in Jesus Christ. That he asked us to serve because he was the crucified servant who died for us and loved us like that. So now because of his love, there's nothing we can't do. There's no request too great that we couldn't come to him and ask because he loves us like that. So let's live like the true and And let's love and serve the true and greater king because this is the greatest pursuit that we could ever engage in in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we want to know you more. God, we want to love you with all of our hearts. God, there are too many times where I confess I'm just distracted. I'm I'm about all, all kinds of other stuff that's not necessarily bad. It's just that I put you in the back seat. And I'm not giving you everything I've got. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would help me, help us to learn to prioritize you in such a way that we pursue godliness, we pursue Christ-likeness, we submit to your plans, we, we serve you with all we have, and we love you with everything that you've put in our hearts out of your love to us. And so, God, would you work, would you change us by your grace and help us to love you this week and live for you this week through the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen.